Let's have a prayer. Lord, we want to thank you for your word to us today and we just pray that by your Holy Spirit you would just lay something upon our hearts and minds that will really touch us afresh, that will really bring us near to your Father heart, near to Jesus. And we ask you to you be the praise and to you be the glory because we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I wonder if you were asked the question, what's the most difficult theme to preach on? Well, your answer might be, some would say, I know what it is for me, it might be uh, election and free will. This idea of God electing before the foundation of the world that people should be saved. Does that mean you've got a mind of your own? If God has done it before the foundation of the world, surely you're a puppet on a string and that's where it goes. And so some people would say that's a real difficult theme to take up, that of uh, election and free will. Other people would say, no, it's the Trinity. And of course when you go to a church and you hear something preached about the Trinity, if you weren't confused before you went in, you would certainly be confused by the time you went out, because the Trinity is a difficult theme. Uh, Other people would say the most difficult theme to preach on is, can you be saved and lost? Because it seems there are verses in the Bible that give the impression that you can be saved and then you can be lost. Because that would be quite a, a difficult theme to tackle, but that's not... What I believe is the most difficult theme to preach on. This theme that I'm going to share today has exercised the minds of the greatest biblical teachers, the greatest Christians that you've ever read or you've ever known. And that theme is the theme of holiness. I don't think there's a more difficult theme to preach on than the theme of holiness. What is holiness? And years and years ago, way back in time, there was a movement and it was called the Holiness Movement. And there were people who believed back then that uh, you could have such an experience of the Holy Spirit. And they called it sometimes entire sanctification. That was the name they sometimes gave it. This second experience. And there are those within that movement who believed that once you got this entire sanctification, this special experience of the Spirit, you didn't sin anymore. And they were going up to people and say, well, I don't sin anymore. I've had this special experience of God's holiness. Of course, the Bible says, if we say that we do not sin, we deceive ourselves and we make ourselves out to be a liar. That's what John says in one of his epistles. You know, I'll give the definition. One of the definitions of holiness is this. The process, quality and condition of a holy disposition and the quality of holiness in personal conduct. It's the principle that separates the believer from the world. Holiness consecrates us to God's service both in soul and body. Finding fulfillment in moral dedication, a life committed to purity. It causes every component of our character to stand God's inspection and to meet his approval. Can you imagine that? It causes every component of our character to stand God's inspection and to meet his approval. Now I don't know anybody here who would say that's a perfect description of my holy life I think we would rather say with Peter wouldn't we depart from me 
For I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Or I'm a sinful woman. To be up to that expectation that we should be a holy people. And yet that's what God wants. God wants us to be a holy people. It's not nothing to do with whether the saints of old are up in stained glass windows or whatever church makes them saints that they are the holy people and nobody else can be holy. God wants a holy people. And that's why I want to take you today to Exodus chapter 19. So when you can get there, stay Exodus chapter 19 because in that chapter we find the chapters that follow as well it teaches us what it means to be a holy people. If you look at Exodus chapter 19, we find there the Moses and the giving of the Ten Commandments. And Moses was not a stranger to holiness, was he? Because he stood at that burning bush, you remember, and God said to Moses, Take off your shoes, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. And before Moses even started to take the Israelites out of Egypt to the promised land, he knew what it was to stand in the presence of a holy God. And so we find when we come to Exodus chapter 19, let me read verses 3 to 6 of that chapter. I need you to stay with me through all these chapters. Verse 3 of Exodus 19. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasure possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses has to tell the people of God that God wants you as a people to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then he goes on to tell them the preparation that's required for that. So if you look at verses 10 and 11, you see that they are to consecrate themselves. Look at verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. What we find here is the Bible tells us that there's going to be a consecration required by the people. They have to wash themselves. They have to spend these two days preparing themselves to be that holy nation that God wanted them to be. And it also tells us later on in scripture there that the people had to be in their tents and the only a cue for them to come out of their tents and come to the foot of that mountain was going to be a long blast on the ram's horn. That was going to be the cue. And the Bible said not only were they to consecrate themselves, I mean set themselves apart for God to be that holy people, but God was going to set limits. 
They were not to climb up the mountain. God had his limits. What a different picture we have today in the Church of Christ, isn't it? The church with no limits. Anything goes. And here is God saying to his people, don't move out until you hear the long blast of the ram's horn. And I want you to come to the foot of that mountain and there's going to be limits beyond which you cannot go. And the church of Jesus Christ today needs to learn that. That God sets limits to people becoming a holy nation. And what we find is God wanted a holy nation and he spoke from a holy mountain through a holy man of God, Moses himself, because it says in scripture that he spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So why are we not seeing a holy people today? Why are we not the holy people that God wants us to be? Is it because that we lack that consecration? Is it because that we lack that time with God in prayer, washing ourselves afresh in the knowledge of Scripture, the blood of Christ, and, and realizing there are things in us that just don't match up to the holiness of God? Is that why we are not the, the holy people that God wants us to be? That we lack those times of consecration and prayer. We set ourselves apart and we recognize the limits that God has set for his people. I wonder if you'll agree with me that what the church in our land needs is the experience of God's presence that causes people to mark a spot as a sacred spot, as holy ground. There are some preachers, you know, that I've heard. And I've come away and I've said, I was on holy ground today. I've been in some worship sessions, worship, and the worship in here as well has been so powerful that I felt I've been on holy ground. Or sometimes we're part of a congregation and God has been so present in that congregation, wherever it's been, that you don't feel like getting up and going away right away because the ground in which you stand is holy ground. Well, look at look what happened when the people... How did the people react to the giving of the Ten Commandments? Even before the Ten Commandments were given. Look at verse 8 of chapter 19. This is before the commandments were given. We find that the people all responded together. Moses comes with these words from God. They responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. And so Moses brought back their answer to the Lord. So what we find here is that there's a, a proclamation of their obedience to God right at the very outset. Before the commandments are given, the people said, whatever God says to you, Moses, we just want you to know that we're going to obey every word. Interesting. And so we find in the scripture, look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 20. I'm not going to read the Ten Commandments, but Exodus 21 to 21, we've got the Ten Commandments that God gives Moses on the mount. And then from verse 22 of chapter 20 to 23, 19, we have more laws. And what we call these laws, after the giving of the Ten Commandments, we call them the laws of the covenant. 
Sometimes they're called the Book of the Covenant. So you've got the Ten Commandments, and then follows the Book of the Covenant, in which more laws are given about the Sabbath, about the yearly feasts. That's given after the Ten Commandments are given. And so they all come together, as it were. And then from Exodus chapter 23, 20 to 33, we find God saying to his people, I'm going to send an angel before you. He'll protect you all the way to the promised land. God has his angels to protect his people. Isn't that wonderful? The man that came with the tools for the odd jobs, Angelus. Angelus. An angel had come and done something. And that was true of the people of God. An angel would go before them. And all it needs now is for the people to, to come again and confirm their willingness to obey. And so for the second time, look at chapter 24 and verse 3. Chapter 24 and verse 3, we're at now of Exodus, don't, go, don't leave me now. Chapter 24 verse 3, when Moses went and told the people all of the Lord's words and the laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Here's the second time they're promising their obedience to God. Whatever God says, we are going to do. And what follows in chapter 25 onwards is really instruction about the tabernacle. How this portable church or tent was to be built through the wilderness for them to worship in. But I want you to notice chapter 24, 12 to 18. Let me just read that. Chapter 24, 12 to 18. Then Moses set out with Joshua as assistant, and Moses went up the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Har are with you, and anyone involved in the dispute can go to them. When Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain. On the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. And then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on, went up, sorry, on up the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. And what you have here is a correlation, a, a juxtaposition of not just the holiness of God, but the glory of God. They seem to belong together, that this cloud is the cloud of God's glory. And that glorious cloud comes upon the top of the mountain and the glory of the God settles upon the mountain. And God says to Moses, I want you to come into the cloud. Come with the glorious. And I want to share with you these commands and, and write them down. You're both us. Forty days and forty nights. That's a long time, isn't it? A long time. Everything's going well. They've got the Ten Commandments. Moses is still up the mountain for the forty days and forty nights. The people have said twice. Everything you say, Lord, we're going to obey. Look at chapter 32. Everything changes in chapter 32. Because you see the people get impatient. They think that Moses isn't going to come back again. And so what we find is the people said to Aaron, 
But Moses has been a long time away. Why don't you build us a golden calf? Why don't you build us a god? Now Aaron knew that he was in charge along with a man called Hur because Moses had said to the elders no matter how long I'm going to be away that's the implication in the way you elders I want you to know that Aaron and Hur are going to be in charge of any disputes that are going to be made I've got things covered so the people say to Aaron why don't we make a god a golden calf of course Aaron should have said wait a minute you agreed on every word that God would speak that there should be no idols and what we find is Aaron instead says give me your golden earrings these would be the earrings they picked up in Egypt give us the golden earrings and they began to melt them down and and they fashioned it into a, a golden calf and Aaron says the next day we're going to have a a celebration, a sacrifice to the Lord and what we find here is that Moses comes down and he hears the singing, not only do they make the golden calf, but it says in the scriptures there look at chapter 32 verses 5 and 6 when Aaron saw this he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord so the next day the people rose early and burnt and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and they got up to indulge in revelry or corruption debauchery who would believe it and the Lord said to Moses you better go down there's something going on down there and Moses comes down the mountain what does he do with the two tablets of stone on which were written the Ten Commandments he threw them on the ground and they broke can you imagine how Moses must have felt on that mountain he must have been elated he had been 40 days and 40 nights he had been in the very presence of the glory of God he had sensed that glory he had sensed the the holiness of God the finger of God writing on these tablets of stone he was on a spiritual high and then he comes down the mountain and discovers the corruption of his people of the people of God it's almost like Jesus up the mountain of transfiguration comes down the mount and finds that disciples could not exercise the demon out of the guy or you of little faith but here is Moses comes down and says what is going on what is going on does that not happen to us sometimes we can get a spiritual high everything's going well with us spiritually and somehow the enemy takes that great spiritual experience and exploits it and brings us into the slough of despond as Bunyan would put it. Bring us into the depths of despair. Has that ever happened to you? I'll tell you it's happened to me. I remember one occasion we went for a holiday. In my first church we went for a holiday. And we enjoyed the rest and refreshment. And we came back to a crisis in the church. This is summertime. When things are supposed to quieten down. <laughs> and the young folks said, Pastor, we want this, this, this and this. If you don't give it to us, we're going to leave the church and start a church of our own. 
I took it to the, the deacons. I said, the young folks want this, this and this. If they don't get it, they're going to leave and start the church. And the deacons agreed with me that we're not going to give this and this and this. They had been to some big conference down south with a bit of way out teaching. And the young folks said, we're leaving. Two of them were deacons. The rest were Sunday school teachers. And one foul sweep, we lost two deacons. I don't know, four or six lovely Sunday school teachers we broke our heart the day, the last Sunday they had in the church and they left and started another church thankfully years later <coughs> when somebody else was in charge of the church somebody who was in charge of their church came and apologised to our church for what had actually happened this spiritual high, you come back and you feel refreshed and you feel rested and you come back to a crisis. You ever found that? That the devil can exploit the spiritual highs and bring us even into the slough of despond. And what does the Lord do in this case in Exodus? He says, I'm going to wipe the law of you. I'm going to wipe out the people. If I'm going to get a holy nation, it's not going to be with this people. And Moses immediately enters into intercession. He says, Lord, you can't do that. Lord, he says, these are your people. These are your treasure. These are the people that you promised to take all the way to the promised land. You can't, you can't destroy them. We don't want you to destroy them. Lord, we want to repent of these things. And the Bible said the Lord relented and averted the wrath away from the people. The Lord relented what he was going to do. And what we find here, the Bible tells us when the people saw the, the glory of God, something happened. Because what happened was Moses says, I'm going to do something that I haven't done before. I'm going to pitch a tent. And we're going to call that tent the tent of meeting. And it says in the scripture, that's the place the people would go to inquire of the Lord. He built this tent of meeting. And the Bible says that every time the people of God saw Moses walking through the camp to that tent of meeting, they all stood at the front of their tent. And when that cloud came, and that cloud stood at the tent of meeting, the Bible said not only did they stand at the door of their tents, they began to worship. They began to worship when they saw the cloud. I believe that was the same cloud that was on the mountain, the cloud of the glory of God resting on that tent. And Moses would inquire of the Lord. And then we find that Moses needs some reassurance. That after all this has happened, he's getting before the Lord. You'll see it there in chapter 33 and verse 13. Chapter 33 and verse 15. Don't lose me now. If you are pleased with me, he says. Lord, if you're pleased with me, there are three things I want you to do for me. And the first is this. Lord, I want you to teach me your ways. Lord, if you're pleased with me, the first thing I want you to do is teach me your ways. When was the last time you said that? When was the last time you said, Lord, I've been going according to my ways? Or to quote a song, I did it my way. <laughs> and it's not working out. I really need to come before you again, Lord, and could you teach me your ways? And sometimes we call, we call that salvation. 
because the Bible talks about a new and living way not your ways or anybody else's way Lord I want you to teach me your way and that means getting before the word of God that means getting before him in prayer and it means chucking out a load of stuff that, that we shouldn't have in our lives and leaving room for that new and living way we call that salvation and perhaps you've never given your life to Christ yet and say well it's been going according to my way so far and I need to say to you Lord if you're pleased with me just teach me your way that's what Moses was saying and the second thing that Moses says you'll see it there in scriptures that's the first thing in 33 look at verses chapter 33 and verses 14 and 15 33, 14 and 15 says, The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. Moses was actually saying, Lord, if you're really pleased with me, not only teach me your ways, but assure me of your presence. Because if your presence is not with me, I'm not going to move anywhere. When was the last time you said, Lord, take not your holy presence from me? That's how the psalmist fell in Psalm 51. He had, he had sinned against the Lord. He says, Lord, do not remove your Holy Spirit. Do not remove your presence. And God says to Moses, my presence will always be with you. Do we not need to hear that? I need to hear it. You need to hear it. My presence will go with you. It's his presence that makes the feast and the third thing that Moses said I said I want to ask for one more thing and you'll find it in 33 in verse 18 he said Moses me I want you to show me your glory teach me your ways assure me of your presence show me your glory and God did a remarkable thing for Moses there was this apparition of God there was this figure that came down and Moses only saw the back of the figure as it moved behind a rock he saw something more of the glory of God and it was after this experience of teach me your ways assure me of your presence show me your glory that God says to Moses come back up the mountain Come back up and cut two more stones. And I'll write on them again. He's the God of the second chance, isn't he? And the third chance. Come up the mountain again, he says to the Lord. And so what we find is that, uh, let me read chapter 34, verses 5 to 7. It says, Then the Lord uh, came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. The Lord proclaimed his name. The Lord... And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Are you getting this? A God who is full of compassion, a God who is full of forgiveness. I find that tremendous. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed to the ground and he worshipped. He says, Oh Lord, he says, if I found favour within you, assure me of your presence. And again I want you to ask you to forgive the people. Please forgive them. Please forgive us. A stiff neck people look at verse 
Nay, O Lord, if I found favour in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord begins to remind Moses again of some of these covenants. Isn't that a remarkable story? And the Bible says Moses was 40 days and 40 nights without food and without drink. Now only the Lord could keep somebody that length of time without food and drink. A normal human being couldn't. You see, something had happened here. Look at verse 29 of 34. 29 of 34. When Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testament in his hands, this is the second time, he was not aware that his face was radiant. He had been in the glory of God. He had been in the presence. And he wasn't aware that his face actually shone. And the people were afraid. Aaron was afraid. And so Moses covered his face with a veil. He covered his face with a veil. And what we find in the scriptures there is that this, what the people were actually doing the first time with their revelry and their corruption and their singing and their dancing, it was all a show. (coughs) But here's the important point. There was no glow. For the people of God it was all a show. But there was no glow. I actually left to go to a church because of the radiance in somebody's face. I used to belong, I'm sure I've told you this before, in the parish church in Blackridge. And that was an experience. You paid for your seat. They were called seat rents. And the name of your family was on the end of the pew. Woe betide you if you sat in anybody else's pew. Because you paid for that pew. And your name was on the end. And when you got into this, I remember as a kid in this church, it was like the zoo. There were that many fur coats. There were all these fur coats. If they didn't have a fur coat, I was being confronted with a fox behind somebody's back with two front paws. That can be frightening for a kid. And there was every available hat, every available flying saucer and lampshade was right in front of you. You could hardly see what was going on. And men all had these lovely suits, pinstripe suits and what have you. And there was my dad in constant night shift. He was on the front of the choir. And because he was constant night shift and the minister read everything from the top corner to the next, my dad's head used to go down and down. And I could see everything happening, you know. And when the minister lost the place, my dad woke up. He he actually woke up. And there was this organist, and the organist used to put his hand out to mine. That could be misinterpreted today, but he put his hand out to mine, and I put my hand to his, and I got one of those great big pan drops. Remember the big pan drops? I mean, I'm talking about big pan drops. They were supposed to last a sermon. Well, in the Church of Scotland, they lasted a sermon. If not in a Baptist church, but they lasted five. <laughs> These big pan drops. And I came to the conclusion later on in life, this is all show, and there's no glow. There's no glow. But in this wee Baptist church, a wooden hut, with one of these pot belly stoves, and I used to heat our bottom, we used to stand round about it, before we sat down, that kept us going for the rest of the service. This wee Baptist church, there was this teacher, this Sunday school teacher, and her face shone with the glory of God. 
and other people had such a, a lovely face because they knew God in a personal way through Jesus. And I said, I'm going to go back there. But this minister in this village I was in said to my mother, take him away from that church and bring him back to the Church of Scotland. But I went back to that church because of somebody's radiant face, because they knew the Lord. There's a verse in the Psalm, Psalm 34 and 5, Look to him and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. But here's the, the final lesson, as it were. There's something you need to know about Moses. The glory, it was veiled, and it was fading. The glory was veiled, and it was fading. And what you find in this story of the scriptures, that it always would be veiled. It was a fading glory, because the Old Testament had to point to Jesus. The Old Testament always points to the coming of the Saviour Jesus Christ. It was a veiled glory, a fading glory. And didn't Moses speak about a prophet who was yet to come? And most people think that prophet speaks of the Messiah. And when Jesus spoke to the two on the Emmaus Road about himself in the Old Testament, how did he begin? It says he began with Moses and the prophets. And that takes me to the final passage of Scripture. And we're finished. Will you look up in your Bible, 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18. Because Paul takes the very same thing that we've been talking about. Let me just read from verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12. You got there? 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 12. It says this. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are bold. We're not like Moses who wouldn't have put, he would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at him while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and with the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Can I hear an Amen there? Amen. The veil has been lifted and the glory doesn't fade because we come to Christ. And if you don't know Christ as your Saviour, Paul says there's a veil over your heart. There's something between you and God and you can't see that this scripture, chapter after chapter, is speaking about the coming of a Saviour. It's speaking about Christ. And that's a tremendous thing to get into our hearts. This is from the Lord, Paul says. This is the Spirit of God. The unveiled face and the unfading glory. Somebody once said, the new is in the old concealed. The Old Testament. And the Old Testament is in the new revealed. Isn't that true? The new is in the Old Testament concealed. But the old is in the new revealed. The unfading glory. Because to know him, it says is to reflect his glory and be changed into his image overnight. No, 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 no. From one degree of glory to another. This is a process. From one degree 
of glory to another. Only the Lord can do that. Only the Spirit can do that. And Paul said there'll be a day when we no longer see but a poor reflection in the mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Moses spoke with God face to face. Now we know in part and then we shall know fully even as we are fully known. What's the theme of all I've been trying to say? Forget the show. Let's see the glow. Forget the show. We can pull on a show on a Sunday. We can all do it. Forget the show. Let's see the glow. Because we're standing on holy ground. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We are standing. Folks, we're standing on holy ground when we open the word of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I want you to thank you for this whole section of scripture that speaks to us of your holiness. That you wanted a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And yet they became impatient and they built an idol. Lord, that they got corrupt into their revelry and debauchery. And we pray, with, help us to know what it means to stand on holy ground. Consecrate ourselves. Cleansed by the blood of Christ. And to know what it means to come before you. Lord, will you help us with Moses' reassurance. Show us your ways. Assure us of your presence. And show us again your wonderful glory. Forgive us when we put on a show. But there's no mistaking the glow of knowing you. And having been filled with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.